This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This is the second episode in our three-part 2021 Year in Review series. Last episode, we took a gallop through the big things that happened around the world. Today, it's all things Aussie. And then tomorrow, join us for the lighter, quirkier stuff from the year that was. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. 2021 for Australia saw a fair bit of moving and shaking when it came to our political and business leaders. We've also had big weather events. We had a mammoth effort at the Olympics. Plus, we've been quite the player in the global politics scene as well. Claire, let's take a walk down memory lane. I don't want to start on COVID, Claire, but I think we have to start on COVID. (laughs) It was the big story right at the start of the year. No one, not one person from Sydney's Northern Beaches will forget Christmas and New Year 2020-2021. They were locked right on down. They sure were. And we should have taken a hint that 2021 was going to be difficult on the COVID front because the New Year started uh, with state and territory borders once again closing as that Northern Beaches cluster spread. Uh, COVID even infiltrated one of our iconic sporting events as a talking point. It sure did. You're talking about the Aussie Open. It was a whole drama. It was a whole drama. Things started out very tricky in January uh, as players and their teams and officials jetted into Melbourne. And then less than a week out, COVID restrictions in Victoria were reintroduced. The tournament went ahead, though, and it started with up to 30,000 spectators per day permitted, about 50% of capacity. And then they were all sent home very dramatically halfway through after case numbers accelerated and a five-day lockdown was enforced. I totally forgot about that. And as we were doing this, I remember people standing Mm. up and leaving the stands. It was quite exactly right. Despite all that drama, Dylan Alcott won his seventh consecutive Australian Open quad singles title. Novak Djokovic took out the men's singles final. The women's side of the draw was won by Naomi Osaka. Sticking with sport, there was another big story coming out of Melbourne in February. That happened when Eddie Maguire popped up to talk about the Collingwood Football Club and racism. Yeah, so that was brought about after a damning independent report detailed a culture of systemic racism at the club. Magpies president and media personality Eddie Maguire fronted a press conference to say that it was a proud day, uh, but the report and his comments led to calls for him to resign and he did that. Yeah, he's obviously a big name in sport, a big name just in Australia generally. Another big Aussie name, James Packer and the whole Crown Resorts saga was starting to bubble away. Yeah, so that was in February that Crown Resorts was deemed not suitable to hold a casino licence in New South Wales. That was to operate its just-built Barangaroo Casino in Sydney. Still no licence for them, Claire. So Sydney has a casino all built, but no licence to operate it. Speaking of big companies, doesn't get much bigger than Facebook. February was when Aussie Facebook users were blocked from sharing or posting news content, something we took a keen interest in, as you can imagine. Yeah, (laughs) We sure did, although somehow we dodged the ban. So we had quite an interesting time. Thanks, Facebook. (laughs) Facebook made that move in response to the Morrison government's plans for a mandatory bargaining code that would see Facebook and Google pay for Australian news content on their sites. Uh, But after some negotiation, a deal was struck and Australia got a new media bargaining law. 
It did, and also those sites were reinstated on Facebook. You can get your news on Facebook. February continued to deliver big, big news stories. Allegations made by former Liberal Party staffer Brittany Higgins that she was raped by a colleague in Senior Minister Linda Reynolds' Parliament House office really rocked Canberra's Parliament House and many across the country. Yeah, and reviews were launched and Higgins made a formal complaint to police. But it's fair to say that her stand to go public with those claims and also Aussie of the Year, Grace Tame, their advocacy for the survivors of sexual assault has been a really big theme this year. Absolutely. And then, of course, there was Attorney General Christian Porter, accusations that he sexually assaulted a teenager when he was a student in 1988, claims he very much denies. Yeah, so Porter took issue with an online article published by the ABC and he launched and later dropped defamation proceedings against the ABC and journalist Louise Milligan. Uh, To pay for that legal action, he received funds from a blind trust, something that Prime Minister Scott Morrison said wasn't compatible with his role as a Cabinet Minister, so he lost his spot. And more recently, he's announced that he will not run at the election due next year. Talking about big themes, Australia's COVID vaccination program. We're doing it, Claire. It happened in 2021. (laughs) We're going there. The AstraZeneca Oxford COVID vaccine was approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration in February and then restricted after concerns about rare but severe blood clots. Yeah. So in April, the official vaccination experts advised that adults aged under 50 years old who had not already received a first dose of AstraZeneca uh, should be given the Pfizer vaccine. And that was because of that blood clot issue. I think this might be around the time that Scott Morrison said that the vaccine rollout wasn't a race, something he might regret now. Wasn't long until the game changed, Claire. Oh yeah, and it put pressure on the vaccination rollout as more Pfizer doses needed to be sourced and the Morrison government copped a lot of criticism for that. And then things got serious in late June uh, when an outbreak of the Delta strain in Sydney's eastern suburb of Bondi uh, kicked off a lockdown across Greater Sydney and the most stringent since those uh, pre-Christmas Northern Beaches lockdowns. Yeah, it was a lockdown that lasted well over three months. During that time, of course, many other cities, regional centres and country areas went into lockdown across the country. That was all in an effort to stem the spread of the Delta variant. In October, Claire, Melbourne became the world's most locked down city of the pandemic. A title no one wanted it to have. No way. During that blur of lockdowns, Claire, though, there was the Olympics. Australia ended up sixth on the medal tally with 17 gold, seven silver and 22 bronze medals. Some highlights from you. Uh, Who can forget Ariane Titmus? She had a legendary win over America's Katie Ledecky in the 400 metres freestyle Mm. final. That was epic. So good. Uh, Emma McKeon, she became our most decorated Olympian ever. Patty Mills and the Boomers get all teary thinking about Patty Mills (laughs) just being so grateful for taking bronze. was the first time that they had got to that level to the podium. Uh, Also Jess Fox, she won gold in the canoe slalom. It's a never-ending list but really a good one. It was an amazing two weeks. The image of Rowan Browning, a.k.a. the flying mullet, getting through to the semis (laughs) of the 100 metres, Claire, for me, I cannot forget it. Really was a magic time, such a relief from lockdown. The Olympics then were, of course, followed up by the Paralympics. And Australia came eighth on the medal standings, 21 gold, 29 silver, 30 
bronze. Uh, that included Madison Di Rosario's marathon gold, yeah. Dylan Alcott, of course. Uh, he took a step towards a golden slam and Curtis McGrath in the kayak. It was so good. Now, we also had that silver in the high jump. I mean, it's all coming back oh, to yeah. me. An Olympic effort, meanwhile, back in Australia was being made to lift our vaccination rates. Very nice segue, Kate. It was. There was a strategy that was being led by New South Wales to move the country uh, away from the idea that COVID zero was possible and towards getting as many people vaccinated as possible. Yeah, it's a chapter I'm sure many want to put behind them. I certainly do. But it is staggering to review, Claire, just how all-consuming COVID was during that time. Basically, June to October, wall-to-wall COVID news. It was all that we were talking about and mm. watching on TV and yeah, just consuming. Uh, it's amazing how far we've come since October. Uh, Australia's vaccination rate is heading towards 90%, uh, but it looks like new variants are going to test us. Uh, enough about that, though. Let's get onwards and upwards. I reckon. Let's not dwell and let's not jinx 2022 before it's happened. You never know what it has in store. And while it was a lot of COVID, it wasn't all COVID. One policy area that did get some attention was Indigenous affairs. In August, Prime Minister Morrison committed the federal government to $1 billion for an implementation plan to close the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians by 2031. Uh, The close the gap process has been plagued by repeated failures to meet targets on things like health, education, justice, employment. Uh, So the system got an overhaul by Indigenous policymakers. And just this past few weeks, there's been more on that with the final proposal for an Indigenous Voice to Parliament released by the federal government, something to watch out for next year. Back to reviewing though, in September, it was all about a great big new security pact. This was a big one, Claire. It was a big one, not just for Australia, but for the world. Mm. Uh, Australia, the UK and the US agreed to form AUKUS. Under the pact, the US and the UK have agreed to share their nuclear-powered submarine technology for the first time, and it's to enable Australia to build a fleet of at least eight of those really complex watercrafts. And it meant the end of our $90 billion sub-building contract with France. And so much talk about our relationship with France and how they're feeling about (laughs) us and how we're feeling about them. It was something French President Emmanuel Macron wasn't too happy about. He certainly let Scott Morrison know his displeasure at that time. He sure did. That all unfolded during the G20 meeting in Italy uh, and then at that COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. Macron essentially called Morrison a liar. It was pretty full on. COP26 we'll talk about in just a second, but also unhappy about AUKUS is China. Can't believe it's taken us this long to get to China. True. The pact is an acknowledgement that our Indo-Pacific region is where it's at because China is taking a more aggressive stance in the world and having those sorts of subs and the support of the UK and the US is a big statement about our joint concerns and also the potential to take action against China if our interests are threatened. As I said, we would get to COP26, Claire. You mentioned that a few times across this year. Yep, I did remember. (laughs) It was a whole thing. (laughs) It was a whole thing. I remember that Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce and the Federal Nationals Party Room were not on board with changing our commitment. And then they came around. 
Yeah, they did after much argy-bargy and wheeling and dealing. It's something we're still just starting to understand how that all unfolded. But in the end, the Morrison government locked in a target of net zero emissions by 2050. It meant Australia became the 70th country to take that pledge. And what we didn't do is lower our short-term 2030 target. That sets up an election showdown as we come into an election year. That's right. It remains at 26 to 28% emissions set by the Abbott government in 2015. Morrison says we're on track for 35%. Labor has committed to 43%. So many percentages we've talked about this year when it comes to climate change. Claire, as I said in the previous episode, I think I've kind of nearly wrapped my head around them all. Also this year, of course, we came to know even more about our state and territory leaders. So when New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian and resigned in October. That was a really big deal, not just for New South Wales, but for the whole country. Yeah, and that was because the Independent Commission Against Corruption, the ICAC, uh, in New South Wales announced that it was investigating her. The details are that her departure stems from a secret relationship that she had with disgraced former MP Daryl Maguire. That investigation is ongoing, so watch this space in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. It's never a year in Australia, of course, also without some extreme weather and natural events. 2021 had a bit of a range of them. Historic floods in eastern Australia, particularly around New South Wales' mid-north coast, that experienced a once-in-100-years event. And in western Sydney, there was a drenching that was described as a once-in-50-years event. That was just at the start of the year. As we get into the year, cyclones erosia that troubled the west. La Nina, of course, is back mm. for a second consecutive summer, and thanks for nothing. Uh, if you... <laughs> If you live in Melbourne, you were starting to really think you were cursed. There was an earthquake in September oh. that really rattled you. Oh, my God, I totally forgot about that earthquake. That was crazy. <laughs> that was such a shock, as they say. Don't forget, of course, the mouse plague in amongst all of that. And finally, some notable people died this year in Australia. Two that come to mind are Bert Newton and Carla Zampatti. Yeah, they were two of the big, if not the biggest names in Australian entertainment and fashion. Mm. Uh, the one that stuck with me was Eddie Jaku. He was a Holocaust survivor who settled in Australia and he was known as the world's happiest man. Yeah, and sadly, the year has ended with that awful tragedy in Devonport, Clare. But let's not finish on that. Let's finish with what seemed like a bit of a miracle out of Carnarvon in Western Australia. An incredible story, four-year-old Cleo Smith. She was abducted uh, from her family's tent at a holiday spot near Carnarvon, which is about 960 kilometres north of Perth. She was found and a 36-year-old man was arrested and Western Australian police are being celebrated for their work. You don't often get a good end to a story like that, so that was really something. I think that's a good note to end on. That's 2021 in a nutshell, for Australia, let's crystal ball now. We finish off each of our Year in Review episodes pondering what 2022 might bring. I'm getting in ahead of you to say that obviously we've got the federal election, Claire. That'll be happening before the end of May. How that plays out and then lands after the couple of years we've had will dominate the news cycle for a bit, I imagine. It sure will. Uh, For me, our relationship with China, of course, China again, uh, but also how our economy recovers after the last couple of years and if we can get a clear run without COVID, exactly what that bounce back looks like. 
Yeah, those are good and quite predictable themes for 2022. Claire, that's all for this episode. Tomorrow we take a look at the lighter stuff, the quirkier stories, the stuff that made us giggle across the year that was 2021. Tune in for that. now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP.